Heavenly Father, we exalt you over all the earth. You are high above all other gods, because there is no God but you. So God, we just, we give you your glory that's due to you. We give you the honor that's due to you. Lord, and we raise you high in this place and high in our hearts. God, and we just praise you with everything we have. God, we pray for the message here this morning, God, that you be glorified and your word gets across. And pray that our, our spirits will be receptive to learn from what you have to teach us here today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Family Church. Hope everyone had an incredible week. I know that I did. It was uh, very fun and lots of things going on. Because of that, I know in my life, I forget what we talked about last week. So I always want to do a recap if you're anything like me. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28 to recap from last week. So we're in our third week of our series of discipleship. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 28. For a short recap, I heard from many of you that you love the charts on stage for visualization and for aids just to kind of help you. Um, they help me stay on track and there's pictures so we can actually work on pictures. And even in your bulletin insert, there's some pictures this morning. So I heard from some of you are excited about that. So we're working on pop-ups, but our printer doesn't do that, but we're working on it. Um, would you please pray with me as, as we dig into our series of discipleship, and unashamedly, this morning, the message is for an audience of one. That one is Jesus Christ for his glory and for his honor as a church. But if one person grasps the message today, 
I'm really preaching to one individual who may be here. And as we work through this series, you'll understand the importance of if one of us understands what discipleship is and what it should look like and we begin to do it, we'll see the impact that it will have in our community and the world. And we're going to take a look at that. So would you please pray with me and ask God to move in this place, move in our lives. And would you just, in the quietness of this next prayer, just ask God to open your mind, clear out the things you have to do today, the projects you need to get done, what your upcoming week schedule is going to be. Because we came to sit and to soak and to listen to who God is and what he's done for us and what he wants us to do. And so many times my mind is racing. So let's take a moment and ask God to be our God in the next few moments and to have what he wants us to do spoken clearly to us. Let's pray. God, quiet our minds, our hearts, and our souls. Help us not to be anxious for anything, as your word says, but to trust in you and every word that proceeds out of your mouth. God, I pray that I may be an instrument used by you this morning. May you move and remove from me anything that is of self and fill me with everything that is of God and spirit. God, may you work in the next few moments. May you change lives. May eternities be changed. May you show us what we need to do in regards to discipleship. We are yours. And it's forever that we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be starting in verse 18 to recap from last week. So we saw how first Jesus called the disciples to himself. Pastor Terry and I did that message, and then you later see what the disciples were called to. Now, today we're going to be looking at the process of Jesus, what he actually used. But to recap, Matthew 28, it says, Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, hope you remember the lesson last week when you come across the word, therefore, look what it's there for. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and he has commissioned us, we are to therefore go, and that's not the key action verb there, it is to go and as we go, we make disciples. As we go to work, as we go to school, as we spend time with our family, we're called to make disciples. So it's not a commission of going, it's a commission of as we go throughout our life with wherever it is. If we go to Africa, as we go, we're making disciples. If we stay here and work our entire life here on Marco Island, as we go, we're making disciples. And so that is a key. But this morning I want to share with you a process that Jesus used to make disciples and what he did. And there's a secret process that's all throughout the New Testament that Jesus did. And many times... It's so secretive that we pass over it. In fact, it's so simplistic that we don't even think it's a secret at all. And the secret is this. Jesus spent a large amount of time with a few men. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. Jesus spent a large amount of time with a few men. And so to illustrate this, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so I have a couple of pictures. So this is really saving us a lot of time. All right. Trying to get us out on time. This triangle represents the three and a half years I spoke about last week of Jesus's time here in earthly ministry. 
And just to clarify, I've had a couple of questions. Jesus began his earthly ministry at age 30, which was the tradition of the day, but he did not have any educational schooling. I had a couple of questions from you. wanted to clarify that from last week. Scripture tells us that. But this is three and a half years worth. And it seems that what many churches and most Christians are focused on is getting the message to the most amount of people as possible. The biggest church. But when we see from Scripture... This top triangle represents the smallest amount of Jesus' time. And he spent the smallest amount of time with the most amount of people. Completely different than how we try to do things today. And so we have the feeding of the 5,000. We have the crowd of the 4,000. Very few times referenced in Scripture. Moving down, these are the 500, 120, and 70 disciples of Jesus that he later in his ministry commissioned out. And they went out and did incredible things and then came back. But those aren't even mentioned that many times either. In fact, we see in Scripture that right here, this top portion is only referenced 17 times in Scripture. But what's referenced three times more than the large crowds is the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. Three times more, almost three times. It's actually 47 times in Scripture where Jesus is spent spending so much time, seen spending so much time with his disciples. And so he spent the most amount of time with the fewest, and we get that backwards today. If you have your Bibles To show this, we're going to look at John chapter 3, verse 22. And there's scriptures like this all over the place. John chapter 3, verse 22, and it says this, Jesus and his disciples went into a Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. Many times we would be reading scripture and we would pass over this verse. But listen, he went far away with a few men to spend time with them. We need to ask ourselves, why didn't Jesus spend time with 5,000 people who were wanting to spend time with him? Many times in Scripture, we see Jesus leave the large crowds and go spend time intimately with a few. Moving down, we see in Matthew, or in Mark chapter 6, if you turn over to Mark chapter 6, verse 30, here's another one explaining the 12 disciples. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus... And reported him all they had done and taught. Then, listen to this, this is very interesting. Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. This verse kind of reminds me of a wedding. If you've ever been to a wedding or you've been at a wedding and you and your bride are trying to eat the reception dinner, right? Everybody comes by your table. You like go to take a bite, somebody stops by. Go to, that's how it was at our wedding. I don't think we ate very much at all. And everybody was coming by. Jesus was like, guys, we can't even eat. Everybody's coming by, let's get out of here. So they got in a boat and left the large crowds who were wanting to spend time with Jesus. And so we see that he spent his time very specifically with a few individuals. And out of the 12, he spent the most time with three individuals. And those three are Peter, James, and John. All throughout Scripture, we see Peter, James, and John that he spent the most amount of time with. 
we talk about not playing favorites, we shouldn't play favorites. Jesus played favorites. He already went from 5,000 down to 500, down to 12. And then out of 12 men, he decided, he's, I'm only going to take three. So we have 12. He said, hey, you three, come with me. I'm going to show you something incredible. And this is why we're going to turn, and we're going to go to the transfiguration of Jesus. Matthew chapter 17. Let's take a look at this. Matthew chapter 17. Jesus focused on three individuals. And as I studied these three individuals, I realized there's not one single place in Scripture where the disciples are mentioned where Peter's name is not first. As we read through Scripture, many times we pass over these things or don't connect them, but every time the, the disciples are mentioned in the list, Peter's name is always first. He was Jesus' right-hand guy who was always by his side. He was pouring his life into. So let's look at Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. After six days, Jesus took with him, there it is again, Peter, James, and John, the three, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So he left the 12 disciples and said, hey, you nine stay here. I'm going to take these three and go. You could put yourself in that mindset. Jesus chose me. Why did he choose me? Well, maybe those three were willing to go farther in their faith. They were more open to the things of God. That's the way we need to be as disciples of Jesus Christ. The more we are open, the more God will pour into us. So that's why when we're looking for people to disciple or you're looking for people to disciple, choose carefully as Jesus did. So it says there in verse 2, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Peter or talking with Jesus. And so we see here that only the three saw it. Why didn't Jesus bring the 12? Why did he only bring the three? Well, he was very intentional about who he brought into his discipleship process. And that's what discipleship it is. It is not a program. It's not a quick thing that we do. It's not something as soon as you accept Jesus Christ as your salvation, you're a disciple. No, you've started the process of discipleship, and it is a lifelong process that you will never be complete with, that we are called to give ourselves daily to the things of God. We are called to submit to God my selfish desires daily. In relationships, that's why we're called for all of us to be in relationship with one another. We're called to submit to one another. As I say the words one another, some of you might be thinking the one another's in Scripture. There are one another's in Scripture, and these are a portion of Scriptures dedicated to what is called the one another's. And it's where it uses the, the phrase one another many times. It may say something like, love one another, confess your sins to one another. Honor one another. And so I want us to look a little bit at these one another's because it's what Jesus has called us to do in discipleship is to be among the one another's through discipleship. So to begin this kind of study of the one another's, we're going to be in John chapter 13. And this ties directly into how Jesus did his discipleship. John chapter 13 Give you guys some time to get there as I get there as well. 
And these are the, this is the start of the one another's in Scripture. John 13, it says in verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, here it is again, so you must love one another. Verse 35, By this one thing, all men will know that you are my disciples, if, key word there, if we do it, if we love one another. So, this is the start of the one another's. It goes on in John 15, 12, and 15, 17 to continue to say, love one another, love one another. So, to start the one another's in Scripture, we have five references to love, 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 love one another. And then, there's 47 others, 47 other one another passages, and then the Scripture ends, and we're going to take a look at how it ends in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3. And I thought this was so cool to see how God ended the one another's. These are the last of the one another's. So you have five love one another's, 47 other ones. And then the ending of the one another's. And it says in chapter 3, verse 11, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another another. Move down to verse 23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. As you move on into 1 John and 2 John, there's seven total love one another scriptures again. So it starts with five, telling us the importance of loving others, 47 other ones, and then he ends kind of with a bookmark or a a book stop at the end saying, love one another. In your life, as you think about how much or how little do you love one another? Because listen, there's one thing you love automatically, and it's yourself. You love self. Everything you do most of the time, everything I do most of the time is for me. Even when I do things sometimes for my wife, it's sometimes for me, right? Even when I do sometimes something for a friend, it's really to make me feel good about what I did. And so God says we need to love one another selflessly because he first loved us. And if that's not happening, it should show us that we really have a love issue vertically with God, right? I want you just to take a moment and think, how much do I love other people? Do I put them first continually? Or do I always honor self? He starts saying, if you're going to spend time with one another and you're going to be a disciple and you're going to do discipleship the way I did discipleship, you're going to spend it with a few people that you are invested heavily in their life and you're going to love them no matter what. You're going to love them unconditionally and you're going to put them first. That is how Jesus did this thing called discipleship and how we are to do it. That's how he did it, and that was his process. Now, as we talk about discipleship, there are a couple of ways that the process goes about. One is the wrong way, and one is the right way. And there are many mainstream Christian denominations that have taken the wrong way and made it look like the right way, and this is what it looks like. 
And I am for this as long as it's not the end goal. How many of you have ever been to a church, and maybe we've done this in this church in the past, where it's in a, a date on the calendar and it is the big invite a friend day? Raise your hand if you've ever been to a church like that. I grew up in a church. We had invite a friend day. And I remember I got saved and it was my mission. Like it was my dedicated mission to invite my friends to church. And we did a big thing where we coupled it with watching the passion of Jesus Christ, the film. And I got 47 of my friends signed up to go to this invite a friend day to church. That's what discipleship was to me. Invite a friend. I was fulfilling the Great Commission, so I thought, in inviting my friends. And it becomes destructive to the church when we think invite a friend day takes the role of the Great Commission we just read about in Matthew 28. Because if we're followers of Jesus Christ, he's called us to what? To go, make disciples, teaching them all things. Teaching them everything I have commanded you. And if we boil that down as a church... We've t- we, if we've boiled down teaching everything I've commanded you to going and inviting a friend to church, you're not doing the Great Commission anymore. And in fact, you've taken the Great Commission and put it on the shoulders of who? You put it on the, you put it on the shoulders of the pastors of the church to now do the Great Commission of making disciples with the friends you brought. So invite a friend day is great. Invite your friends. Maybe you're a friend here this morning because your friend invited you. That is fantastic. Everyone, please invite your friends. We're presenting the gospel. They're going to hear the things of God, but we can't stop with inviting a friend. It has to, once we've done discipleship or evangelism and we've caught a fish, like last week, remember you catch a fish, then you have to what, church? Clean the fish. You have to start the discipleship process and evangelism, once you've led someone to Jesus Christ, that's the tip of the iceberg now begins the hard work of discipleship. And many times people say, Casey, I've led someone to Jesus Christ or they don't even know how to do that. But if that happens, they say, I don't know what to do. Well, one, either you don't know what to do because you haven't been about what you should be about. And if you realize that, get about it, right? (laughs) Studying the word of God, memorizing scripture, get those things going. Or it could be the otherwise, where the, the other case where you do have some of the knowledge, you're just doubting yourself and what God can do in and through you. That's where a lot of people are as well. And so God doesn't want you at either of those places. He wants you actively moving for you. Now, I have a chart over here that's going to kind of help me show how we're supposed to do this thing called discipleship. Because Jesus did it in such a way that radically changed the first century. And it's beginning to look different as we move down the line. And the scary thing about the two methods, one right way and one wrong way, is they both look really good from the start. In fact, the right way looks worse than the wrong way from the start. Let me show you. This represents the church of Jesus Christ here. Let's say if we led a thousand people to Jesus Christ every single day, the church of Jesus Christ, the real church led a thousand people into the kingdom of God every single day. And we did that every day throughout the whole year. So at the end of the year, we would have church. How many? Everyone's doing, 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 doing
Good job. We would have 365,000 people at the end of the year, right? And at that conversion rate, these are authentic Christians. There's no fall away. Authentic Christians, 365,000. Do you know how many years it would take us to reach our entire population? Let me help you out. Some people are like, that would be impressive if you got it, all right? It would take us, let me hear. Well, there's 150. 1,500 plus another zero. 15,000 years is how long it would take us at 1,000 people every day for 15,000 years to reach 7 billion people. Now, 1,000 people a day sounds fantastic until you do the math and you realize how many people there are and how long that's going to take. Plus, is any discipleship happening with the ones you lead to Christ every day? No, they're just baby Christians and they don't even know what to do with their faith. They don't even know how the Bible applies to their marriage or the workplace or prayer. But I want you to, to look at the other way. And I've had a lot of people ask me, what is this? Is this like Greek or Hebrew up on the screens? No, it's math, okay? It's actually multiplication is greater than addition. It's not Hebrew, it's just math. So this represents the multiplication aspect of things. Let's call this individual Paul. Let's say that Paul decides he's going to get serious about his faith. I'll scoot this back a little bit so people can see. Paul gets serious about his faith, and for a year he dedicates himself to the study of the Word of God, to biblical sound doctrine and theology. And then in the second year, he goes and finds someone who wants to be discipled, someone who's going to pass on his training to somebody else, exactly like Scripture says. And he finds an individual, we're going to call this person Timothy, just like it was in the Bible. So you have Paul. So this is year one. This is year two. Paul invests for a year in Timothy. So the third year, now Timothy is gone and invested in somebody else. And let's say that Paul, because it's the start of a new year, is going to go find another individual. And he goes and finds a guy by the name of Titus, exactly like it was in the New Testament, and starts to pour into him. If this chain of discipleship, discipling others, and it took a year, for every year you got one person. At 11 years, do you know how many we would have? It's not that impressive. We would actually only have 1,024 I'm going to mess that one up. 24 individuals. So we would finally catch up to what the addition was doing every day. And it would have taken us 11 years to do so. But if you continue on, something incredible happens. And I'd like to mention addition. Do you know where they would be at at 11 years? Addition of growing 1,000 every day would be at 4 million converts. While the way Jesus called us to do it through multiplication would only be at a measly 1,000 people. That's why it's so easy for churches to get focused on addition. If we just get people to go and add to the church, our church would grow quickly. Well, it may grow quickly to start with, but it doesn't have long-term effects the way Jesus called for us to. So at 11 years, this is what it would look like. 
as we keep moving at year 23 is when we finally catch up through multiplication to where addition is. They're neck and neck. They're both at around the 8 million mark. But in a few short years is where multiplication really starts to take effect. And this is what it looks like at year 35. 35 years, if we did discipleship the way God called us to, of going and multiplying ourselves, pouring into heavily just a few individuals, not three, not two, but just one, if we found one person a year that we poured our life and soul into, and then we made sure the next year that person went and found somebody else to do the same, and then I went and found somebody else. In 35 years, if one of you decide to get serious about discipleship, our world could be, should be reached for Jesus Christ, reached with the gospel that's going to save and forgive sins. 35 short years versus 1,500 years. One looks really good from the start. One looks really poor. But when you calculate it out, you see why Scripture says in 2 Timothy, for us to go and entrust what we know of God to faithful individuals who will then go and entrust what they know to other faithful individuals. That is the multiplication that Scripture says that we are to do. And so it's very important as a church that we do this. Now, one danger of this is what if you have bad theology and you start multiplying yourself? You're going to be held accountable for that. So you need to make sure you have good theology before you begin this multiplication process. But understand, you're never going to always, you're, not, you're never going to arrive. There's always going to be work to do. As we move past this, I want you to see that discipleship is very intentional. Should be a fill-in on your little cards there. Jesus was very intentional about who he spent time with, who he poured into. Let's look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And these are these verses that we read over, and we really don't stop and think what's going on, which I do so often. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. Stop there. He went out to a mountainside to pray. All right, that wasn't like right by his house. He went somewhere intentionally to spend time with God far away from other people. Let's keep moving. And spent the night praying to God. Let's stop there. Jesus spent the entire night praying to God, and he was praying for God to show him who to pick to begin doing discipleship with. That's how intentional God was. He spent the entire night. We know this because in verse 13, it says, when morning came. When morning came, he called the disciples to himself and chose Peter, starting out, and the rest of the disciples. So Jesus was very intentional about discipleship, and we should be as well. As I was, I, I want to give a, a little bit of practical advice, because many of you are going to leave here, and I hate it when I sit in a church service and I leave, and I'm like, okay, what do I do with this information? What do I do now? We have discipleship and how Jesus did it. Listen, the practical word of advice is this. 
don't look too far for what God wants you to do. It's probably right in front of you what God wants you to do. Many times I hear people and they're wanting to figure out a way to, to bless God, to glorify him, to do something for him. And listen, you can't do anything for God that he doesn't want done in and through you of himself. You, you're not going to bless God because he is the one who blesses us to even bless him. So you need to have an attitude change and come to him out of humility because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he says, if you want to glorify me, you're going to have to do it in and through the power I've given you to glorify me. It's all about God, through God, because of God, for God. And as we do that, God will use us. But don't look too far. And I've given the illustration of this. Imagine there's a doctor and their, their spouse is lying, dying of something that they can fix. Maybe they're choking. And this is a doctor and he's looking for someone to save. Who can I save? What can I do? It's right in front of us most of the time. Let me explain. Discipleship should be your first priority and it begins with your home. It begins with your home. If your home is not in order, God gave us a command, a chain down the line. First, men, it's submitting to him ourselves. It's first understanding and denying self. And then we're to lead our wives and then lead our families. So wives, submitting to God, denying self, leading family. You don't jump to evangelism before your house is in order. Discipleship must be taking place in your home. Don't overlook that. And I know many times, and I, I saw a sign. I was out of town this weekend. I saw a sign that says this. Paradise. Is it no longer what you think? And then it says divorce starting at $199. It's always the other person's fault, Right? It's always the other person's fault. And many times, that's the way we live in. Maybe it's not the extent of divorce. Maybe it's the extent of something small. For example, maybe you're not as sinful as I am, but this is an example in my life that happened this morning. God loves to give us these things so we can use them as sermon illustrations. I'm digging in the drawers, and I need a pair of socks because I'm not wearing black pants, and I can't wear white socks. I need tan socks, okay? So I'm digging in the drawer, I'm trying not to disturb and turn the light on because Amanda's still sleeping and I can't find them. In fact, there's other stuff in the drawer that's not normally there and I begin to get frustrated and all of a sudden the, the thoughts begin to roll into my mind and the thoughts are this. Who put these here? Why can't I find my tan socks? This is not my fault. It must be somebody else's fault. The other person's fault, it must be, must be in the house. So they're probably my spouse. And this happens like in a split second. Blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, the person who went from even doing my laundry, who they didn't have to, right, to putting it away when they probably asked me 87 times to put away. And then they just said, I'll just do it for him and not say a word about it, right? Which they did. And they put it in there. And then I couldn't find the socks. I immediately jump on those things. If your life is anything like mine, we do that probably all the time. It's not my fault, it's them. We see it back in Genesis. It's not my fault, God. It's the woman you gave me. Right? 
we automatically jump there. But discipleship should be happening in our home. So husbands, we're supposed to be leading our family. And it seems like many times the husbands, the men in the church are not doing what the men are called to do because we've made church kind of this fluffy little spiritual thing that the women and the children go to, but we don't really do much with. Because it's not about conquering or doing, and I'm a doer, and I like to submit and do all these things, but, or subdue, and we don't see church as that. But listen, God from the very beginning created us to be leaders charging the gospel throughout creation. We see in Genesis that we were called to go and subdue all creation. Subdue. That's where the men are like, yeah, subdue, okay? We're going called to subdue and name all creation. We are to lead our spouses in ways of godliness. Are you leading as a man your home in ways of godliness? As I've been working on this message, God's been working in me saying, Casey, are you leading your home? And I can't tell you, I've tried to do something, which it's going to get done today, (laughs) but I've tried to do something like four or five different times. And we've talked about, my wife and I, scripture memorization for weeks now. So I finally printed out some cards. I want to memorize scripture together. And I'm putting them all around the house. I've tried four or five times to put those cards up and they are still sitting on our kitchen counter because other things get in the way and then we lose focus so many times. We have to do it. And I'm speaking to myself. God's been speaking to me of this. We have to lead as men. We have to lead our families. God should be speaking in our life doing that. Wives, there is so much that Scripture says, just like the men, you are to be submissive and obedient to your husband. Now, I know Scripture says you want to lead, and that's the way that it always comes across, but we are put in this relationship to work together. You need to also understand, wives, your husband is going to be held accountable for everything he says, thinks, and does in this relationship. So he doesn't need any other pressure from you because he's going to be held accountable for the ways he does or does not lead your family. Okay? And you are called to be submissive and helping him. It's a helpmate. You're working together for these things. Discipleship has to happen in that context. When that begins to happen, God is going to work, and you can begin to extend that. So it begins with self, then it goes to spouse, and then what are children to do in this? God has given you children, parents, as the greatest median canvas that you've been given to do discipleship with are your own children, a a fresh slate called to pour into them. Teenagers and children in this place, it's your job for a couple of things. The first thing is this. You need to learn how to be submissive to your parents because if you're having an issue being submissive to your parents, you have a submissive problem with God. You're having an issue being submissive to him. If you're talking back to your parents, you're going to have an easy time talking back to God. That's why you're in relationships through that. Also, teens, it's another part of your job, which I love sharing this It's your job to continue to give your parents gray hair, baldness, stress, and also show them how ungodly they are, as well as show them how inadequate they are to parent apart from God and his grace. 
by the looks of things, good job, teenagers and children, right? <laughs> Including myself working with the kids, getting there. Um, but we are called to do discipleship in the context of our families. Don't look too far. They're right in front of you to do. But discipleship can't stop with your families. They're never going to be fully discipled, but you need to be intentional about doing it. You need to continue on past your families, and it needs to go into your workplace. It needs to go into as you go. Discipleship happens. If one individual in here gets this, gets discipleship and begins doing it with their families and begins to get serious and, and says, I want to get serious about discipleship, our world our island is going to look completely different. We have tremendous resources here at the church to equip you in discipleship. If that's you and you're interested saying, that's me, I want in on discipleship and how to do that, I'm willing to go through training, whatever it is, come talk with me or Pastor Terry and we can get you some books and things and we can begin this as a church. So as a church, I hope we get focused on discipleship. That's what it should be about. In closing, maybe there's someone here who was invited this morning. And this is your first time in a church, or you have no idea what a disciple is. Listen, a disciple is someone who's chosen to follow Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's what I am. It's what many of the people in here are. And we follow him because he's done some incredible, tremendous things for us. The Bible says that all of us have to give an account for everything we've ever thought, said, or done. And if you have any sin in your life, you've ever lied, stolen, cheated, blasphemed God, dishonored your parents, the Bible says you're going to be held accountable for those sins. And either you can pay the punishment yourself, which is eternity in hell, separation from God, or God says, I've provided a way for you where you don't have to pay that punishment. And its name was Jesus Christ. If you want salvation, the Bible says you submit to him, you repent, which means you turn away from your sins and say, God, I'm sorry for these things. I don't want to do them anymore. And you turn to God and you begin living for him. The Bible says when you do that, and if you do that, you will become a son or daughter of God. So as I pray in the next few moments, if that's you, spend time with God in your heart and ask him to work in your life, whatever it is. Come talk with me or Pastor Terry or whoever it is you know is a follower of Jesus Christ and they will point you to what you need to do. Would you please pray with me and allow the Spirit to work in your life with what we need to do as a church? Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. God, I pray for this discipleship series. God, I pray that we may get serious about discipleship and what we need to do as a church. God, it begins in our families and in our homes. Help us as men to stand up and to take charge of the things that we are over. God, help us to be led by your spirit. We love you and praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.